Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from Anshayamit Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Miketz. What's the name? Change. Was Eig your original family name? Is that the name that they brought over from uh, Europe? Yeah, who would who would change their name to Eig? Right? As my grandma, <laughs> as my grandmother, who who was who married into the name, used to say, like, who would pick such a name? Like that was the, her only um, hesitation in marrying my grandfather was, this is the name I'm getting. It sounds like <laughs> it sounds like a cough. It sounds like something stuck in your throat. So it was it was the original name. Yeah, you. that's it. We we did not improve our our lot when we when we got here. We did not uh, take the opportunity. What about you? Uh, is Siegel? Uh... Siegel is uh, Siegel is actually a very um, Jewish name. It stands for two words: Skan Levi. You know, the um, a person who serves as a Levi. Um, so that name, my uh, paternal name, is very much Jewish. What's interesting is my mother's side. Her side is named Freiburg. Freiburg. And what I learned was that my grandfather, who came over from Poland, his given last name was Bernbaum, Bernbaum. And he, that's kind of an interesting story, he came through Argentina, like many Jews did. But he changed his last name to Freiburg because it's, he thought it sounded more American. <laughs> and I love funny. that story. I love that story about him, right? Little did he know. Yeah. Right. Well, maybe, you know, in the context of his times, it was American enough. It was more than what he uh, felt like he had to begin with. That's correct. This practice of changing our names to fit the society we're living in as Jews is a very old practice. Actually, it goes all the way back to Joseph and our portion this week. And I think that's interesting because up until now, it's God who's changed our names, right? We had Avram, who became Abraham. We had Sarai, who became Sarah. We had Yaakov, who asked to have his name changed by an angel who became Yisrael. But now with Joseph, who reads the dreams of Pharaoh while he is suffering in a dungeon in Egypt, suddenly finds himself in the court of the Pharaoh, and he now has a title. But the Torah is very specific about this. He takes on the name Zephanat Panea, Zephanat Panea, and he marries a woman by the name of Osnat, who is the daughter of the high priest. So this is an assimilation story, if I've ever heard one. Yeah, sounds like he's trying to improve his uh, his status in society and and shedding his past, which is something a lot of us can relate to, and certainly a lot of uh, immigrants from from other cultures can relate to as well. How do you make yourself part of the larger society if you don't try to fit in? And that's of course is the tension. That's the Jewish tension, right? Judaism's all about not fitting in, having a special day of rest, which is unlike any other people having special dietary laws, which will undoubtedly separate you from other people, and on and on it goes. So Judaism is all about being separate and apart. And here's Joseph saying, hey, I got to be part of part of the larger society. It's an old story. Yeah, it's it's really interesting story. And it's certainly something we can relate to today. And, and, and I think that um, 
anybody who stands apart in their society, you know, wrestles with that. Among African Americans, W.E.B. Du Bois used to call it uh, Tunis, trying to fit in, trying to um, win respect on on the white man's terms while maintaining the pride in your own identity. And that Tunis is something that we can relate to as well. Well, it's interesting. You know, the the problems are somewhat are similar, and the challenges are similar between people of color and Jews. But for those of us in the Jewish community that show white, it's a very different story. And so many of the first immigrants to America, in fact, the first immigrants to America were Svartic. But the, the largest group came in at the turn of the last century and into the 20s were decidedly Eastern European. So they showed white. So how do you fit into the larger society and the fear of anti-Semitism being a new group in this country and all the rest? was very evident. You know, someone did a study, and there's all kinds of stories in the Jewish community about how my grandfather came to Ellis Island, and he had a name that was hard to pronounce, and so the person at to taking the names changed the name at that place. Right? You've heard mm -hmm. these stories. Yes, yes. So what a, a person who did a study of this showed was that the manner in which ship's manifests were kept were very precise and that at Ellis Island, they were very precise. And the researcher could not find one case, not one case where this was done. And then mm -hmm. what you had to do in New York was you had to go through a, a, a rigorous process of changing your name and you had to tell the state why you wanted to tell change your name. And what she discovered was thousands and thousands of cases, I want to give my children a better chance in this country. I want to be able to get a job, and on and on it goes. And so that's the story of Joseph. This is an old problem. How do we fit in? You know, I think we talk about this all the time. As parents, we talk about it in the synagogue. How do we manage that? It's something that um, we've all grown up with, and I and I think you and I are a little closer um, to, to our immigrant ancestors and we can remember how they f still had the accents and um, still spoke Yiddish and still definitely felt like this country was something they were, you know, they had to get used to. Um, and then by the time we came along, you know, as you said, you didn't have to let everybody know you were Jewish. We fit in if we wanted to. You know, I'm sure you've mm -hmm. experienced where people say, oh, that's funny. You don't look Jewish, right? Like, right. what does that even mean, right? Um, but, uh, but the fact that we have that option certainly changed the feeling of being in America from just in a generation or two, that's all it took. I think we've all been in situations where you had to make a decision as to whether or not you wanted to tell somebody you were Jewish. Mm, absolutely. And it was uncomfortable and that it was easier not to. I Look, I wear a kippah and we were in Greece. Uh, I took a group from the synagogue to Greece and we were in Salonika, which was at one point in time, before the Jewish community of Greece was decimated in the Holocaust, really a, a remarkable center. At one point in time, Salonika ha had more than 50% of its population was Jewish. It's an incredible story. So here we are in a synagogue in Salonika. We had his Friday night services. It was lovely. And then we we're going to walk over to a kosher restaurant not very far from the synagogue, about three blocks. As we, and, of course, there are a number of guards outside. The guard tells us, do not wear a kippah on the street, right? Mm. Do not wear one. Like, please take them off. Wow. I've been to Crimea. I've been to Ukraine, where I was told, 
take that off. And now in the United States, you know, I'm wondering about whether, you know, how smart is it since there are attacks going on all the time against Jews who are showing themselves as Jews or dipping, making themselves identifiable. You know, you start to wonder about that as you're walking around this country. And so here we are. How do you blend in? What do we need to do to pass as Americans? It's a really interesting and challenging question. No, it really is. And it's, you know, kind of sad or maybe it's um, just the facts of life that, you know, 120 years after our my grandparents got here, that we're still wrestling with this, that we haven't figured it out. And that I guess it would be worse if we had figured it out and we just chosen to abandon all signs of our Judaism. That would be an even less fortunate circumstance. So the fact that we're still wrestling with it, I guess, means that we still care. So I'll, I'll try to be positive about it. But it is... Um, it is a constant struggle. And, and as you're saying, it goes back to uh, <laughs> a lot longer than our families. It goes back to the Torah. That's true. It goes back to the Torah. I was just thinking about a book that Barry Weiss wrote in response to the um, killing, the murders in the Pittsburgh synagogue, the Tree of Life synagogue. And she, which one of the things that she says in this really thoughtful book on anti-Semitism is that Jews should lean into their Judaism. Don't hide it. This is the mm -hmm. time for us to be identifiable, to stand proud. And so here you have Joseph hiding, and this story is a very real one. And I want to also mention, Jonathan, that the portion of Miketz, this week's portion, always falls on Shabbat Hanukkah. So here, this idea is really brought to a high level for conversation. Because what's the story of Hanukkah? Hanukkah is a story of the, uh, the challenge of Hellenism in Israel, or was called Judea at the time. And the reality was, is that the Jews of Jerusalem were all in. They were petitioning Antiochus to build a gymnasium in Jerusalem. So these more cosmopolitan Jews, they wanted to engage Greek culture and the Greek games in a very full and robust way. So it's noteworthy that the revolution that against Hellenism and this imposed form of Hellenism that Antiochus was bringing uh, started in a place called Modin, which is a backwater in Israel. And that's where the revolution starts because those people, uh, led by Mattathias and his sons, those people were identified as Jews. Those people, you know, they embraced the old time religion. They didn't want to have this. And so here you have this revolution where the Hellenists are ultimately pushed out, at least for that time being. And, you know, they're embracing the Judaism of the Torah and they're bringing back worship as it is commanded in the book of Leviticus and the temple and, and that and the cleansing of the temple and all of that. So in Israel, those issues are alive, including, by the way, the temple and whether or not Jews should go up to the Temple Mount, which is a whole conversation in and of itself. But if you go to Israel during Hanukkah, what you're going to see is a country that is celebrating the victory of the Maccabees, right? The war, how the small defeated the mighty and the, and the many. And this is the story of Israel. And going back to Theodore Herzl, he talked about this. 
Yeah, but here in America, we it's ironic, we celebrate it uh, almost as a tribute to assimilation. We line it up with Christmas as much as we can. We tell our kids that, oh, don't worry, you'll still get Christmas presents. We just call them Hanukkah presents. And we have, we have Hanukkah trees in some houses that look an awful lot like Christmas trees. And we light our houses, um, no reindeer, uh, no Santa Claus, but, you know, there are some other similarities. So uh, it's ironic to me that we are, um, in some ways, the, the most anti-assimilationist of holidays has become um, a symbol of assimilation in America. It is a symbol of assimilation in some ways, but it's also a symbol of the Jewish struggle because the, because the story of the Maccabees is a story about, it's an anti-assimilation story, right? That's right, and so, absolutely. And so, and so here we're challenged. And by the way, just so we have a full perspective, Theodore Herzl, right, the father of modern Zionism, had a Christmas tree in his home. <laughs> yeah, right? why? What, what because, was the, uh, how did he explain he was, it? He, because he didn't explain it. It was what Germans did. He was living, you know, that this is how they celebrated. He writes an entire story about the menorah, but he was very comfortable having a Christmas tree in his home. This is a very old struggle. And I guess what I want to say is this is a moment in time where this conversation is very acute. We're living in a time of significant rising anti-Semitism, of normalizing anti-Semitism. And the question is, are Jews willing to put their Hanukkiot in their windows? And here I mean not as a competition of you know, the festival of lights, where we're talking about the spiritual light, and, or not as a story about religious persecution and the fight against religious persecution and a celebration of American values of the freedom of religion. But rather, are we willing to say we are Jews and we stand as Jews and we stand with the land of Israel? That's, that's a real question today for Jews, especially younger Jews, but I guess Jews across the, the spectrum, don't you think? Yeah, no question about it. And the, you know, the, the Hanukkah, the menorah is just one symbol of that. I mean, we went, when I was a kid, I think most of the Jewish friends I had wore mezuzahs around their necks. You know, it was, uh -huh. um, it was a thing in the seventies. And, uh, I don't know if you see that as much today, but it's, these are, these are the kinds of choices that we, we make every day. How much of our Jewishness do we want to present? How much of it are we face forward with? Not that we would deny it, but are we flaunting it? And, um, that's, I think that's something we, we really need to think about. I couldn't agree more. Our congregation celebrated the great opera singer, Tucker. And by the way, that wasn't his real name, but he was a cantor who became the greatest tenor in the Metropolitan Opera. And his son, Barry, was at the concert. And he spoke about his father, Richard Tucker. And this is a, an unbelievable story that I think fits in beautifully. Here's this amazing tenor who has reached the height of, of New York society, was celebrated around the world, who led services on the high holidays in synagogues, many, by the way, in Chicago for many years when he was part of the lyric. He said something that he didn't know, which was that his father wore fringes under his clothing, right? Seat, seat. Mm -hmm. And he kept Shabbat, even so he would often, you know, sleep near the concert hall in his dressing room. He would take off the tzitzit when he was going to put on his costume for the, for the performance. But what he would do is he would put his clothing on the door, you know, the door of the dressing room, 
and the tzitzit were always facing him, right? They were on, they were on the outside of his clothing. So if someone came in to interview him, they would see that he was a Jew. So this is kind of an amazing statement where he was not going to back down. You know, they used to say, act British, think Yiddish, right? <laughs> be a man on the street and a Jew in the home, right? Because you mm -hmm. don't want to be too Jewish because it's going to hurt you. So let's try and find the balance. Well, I don't know how well that has worked for us. I don't know how well it worked for Joseph, right? But it is an old story, and I think we have a lot of things to think about this Hanukkah, and I'm hoping that the portion of Miketz would be a, a hot topic of conversation when we gather around our Hanukkiot this year. Yeah, and for those of us in the city, maybe you know, make sure the menorah is on, on facing the street and not the alley this time. Well said, well said. <laughs> Happy Hanukkah, and great talking to you. You too, Rabbi. Thanks. <laughs>